Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode number 11 of the Nathan Seward Show. The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? How's your week been? I hope you are having a great time. I hope you're having a lot of exciting experiences. You're feeling good. You're feeling on point. You're living in your zone of genius and you're delivering your gifts to the world. How's that for an introduction? Welcome to any new listeners to the show. A lot of new listeners coming on every week and I love the shit out of you guys. It's so cool that you keep coming back and listening to the show every week. Uh, This is a show where I have deep conversations with what I think are powerful men from around the world. They're not famous men or massively successful men. They're just people that I think are living an extraordinary life and doing things different. I try and have a deep conversation with them and ask them the right questions so that you guys can get an insight into how they think and their lives and maybe get something out of it for yourselves. And I try and share a little bit about my life too and try and be open and vulnerable so you can learn uh, something for yourself there as well. So I hope that you uh, maybe get inspired or get some insights or um, learn some things about yourself from hearing these conversations. Something I've been pondering this week that I wanted to share with you guys, and it's from a quote that I heard a couple of days ago. And the quote was that most people do the majority of their deep spiritual work in the last five minutes of their life. Now, what does that mean? That means that in that last five minutes of your life, that's where you have to reconcile your life. And for me, I realized when I heard that, that I don't really think about death that much. I don't think about my own mortality. And I really just walk around, you know, thinking that I'm invincible. And so when I heard that quote, I thought, man, there is going to be a final five minutes of my life. And it's a very sobering thought. And it's the same for all of us. It's the one thing we all have in common. In that last five minutes of your life, what would be important to you? Of course, it's not about paying the mortgage at that point. It's not about, you know, earning a million bucks. It doesn't matter if you give up carbs at that point. Like, nothing matters, you know. It's the last five minutes and you have to come to terms with how your life has been. And for me, I realized that uh, I really hold back a lot in my life. I, you know, I was always the the naughty kid at school I was always playing up and I was always the class clown and I think I've just inherited that feeling of being the naughty kid the naughty boy and trying to be a good boy and not letting that side of me come out but I feel that that doesn't bring me a lot of joy I feel that the real me that kind of rebellious naughty boy in me is actually where most of my fun comes from when I'm embracing that side of myself and I was thinking in the last five minutes if I didn't give that side of me a chance to shine in my life then that would be a great disappointment to me so my goal from that well I don't have a goal to be honest but I, I really that was quite sobering for me to think wow there's a part of me that I don't let come out fully and that that would be sad if that that was the case, that they never got to shine. So I'm really thinking about that, and I would encourage you to think about that. It's a deep, deep question, but don't be afraid of deep questions. Don't think, oh, this is too deep, I don't want to talk about this. Lean into it. Mortality is a great way to really bring out you know, what's important in your life and what is really going to be important to you in the last five minutes of your life. So don't lean away, don't shy away from that, that's my advice, it moved me a lot, and so ask yourself that question this week. Moving on, there's an amazing guy on the show this week by the name of James Butler. James is a really, really special guy. I first met James a few months ago, 
and he's a huge, powerful, muscular-looking guy. He's a, a Navy guy. And when you start talking to him, you realize that there's a huge amount of depth to James. He's a very loving, caring person that's committed to uh, giving back to the world. And I think he has so much to offer. He is uh, an Afghanistan veteran. He tells incredible stories from his time in Afghanistan and putting himself into harm's way. And he also tells of his journey after Afghanistan and how he rebuilt his life after he left the military. You're going to get a lot out of this conversation. We go deep, and I think you're really going to enjoy what James has to say. So enjoy this personal conversation with the very powerful James Butler. Tell me these days when somebody, when you meet somebody at a networking event or something like that, and they ask, um, what do you do? Who are you? Who, who is this guy? How do you introduce yourself? Oh, man, the, uh, the enigma of the 30-second pitch, summing yourself up into one line. You know, first, I want to be such a powerful presence that they don't even have to ask that question. They're just like, shit, look at this guy. There's something about him. Um, well, you've achieved that. I can tell you that. yeah you know i I think like i'll give you a little backstory that's something that's been really surprising in my own journey is listening to what i uh what i put off in my being that i'm not actually saying and how drastically that's changed and when i you know hear people they go oh man i'm intimidated by you i'm like you don't even know who i am and then I open my mouth and tell them what I do and what I've accomplished. And they're like, holy shit, I had no idea who you were. But I'm, I always rested on that, uh, you know, that story of my background to really gain presence and to gain credibility. And I've noticed the transition of you know, stepping into full presence and, and that precedes me now. And I have to find that I go the other way now, which is like, no, 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 I'm actually quite a heart-centered person. I'm, I'm quite deep. Um, you know, connect, but don't be afraid. So it's such a, an interesting transition there. I think, I think with the, you know, the elevator pitch, if somebody asks me that question, I'm always struck with wanting to ask them a question of like, well, not what do you do, but like, who can I be for you? And of course I tell people, you know, my, my life's mission is actually to help other people find their life's mission. Um, I see so many people walking around the world aimless, um, putting all their actions into looking good, feeling good, um, trying to get love through inadvertent ways and success and appreciation through these um, just strange methods. And when I find humans who are on purpose and on mission, it's like their entire life makes sense. And and that's what I'm on this planet to do, is to help people discover, you know, what they're here for. Um, and not, you know, gods or some mystical being that says this is what you're on the planet for, but like what they choose to align their life behind, what they, they choose to make their life worth. And um, yeah, that, that that's something I would, I would fumble out something like that. <laughs> Spin it back onto them. Yeah. Now, what's your mission? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting because we've only met a, a few times and mm-hmm. right from the first time we connected, it's just been immediately very deep interactions 
which I've loved. Like I say to people these days that when I'm communicating with someone, I want to have a really deep conversation or just a really uh, hilarious, fun conversation. I don't want to do the small talk. I don't want to do anything in between. And with you, it's just been really deep conversations right from the get-go. And we've maybe only had three or four interactions, but they've all been Mm. really deep. And what I said to you, I think, a few weeks ago is you show up as this incredibly powerful, masculine-looking guy. You're very in shape, very tall. And I thought, wow, like, here's a guy. I knew your background was in the military. I thought, well, here's a guy that's going to be super tough, masculine guy, and I'm probably going to struggle to connect with you. And then you start talking, and then you realize as you tell your story and start going deeper into who you are, you're like, oh, shit, this guy is a fucking powerhouse of um, connection, love, deep contribution to humanity and people, and just it's it's completely different to my first impression. And that's what I love about you, man. Like You have this incredibly deep masculine presence, but are completely in touch with that other side of humanity and connection and love. And, yeah, you're a mind-blowing human in my eyes. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll receive that. It's, it's not easy to receive, man. You know, I was on, uh, I was on an, actually another podcast a couple of days ago and I was, I was saying that the person that people see, like I had to create, um, you know, when I was in high school, I, I felt like a wussy. I was, I didn't know that other people had fears. I thought that I was the only fundamentally flawed human being who had fears um, it took me quite a while to discover that that wasn't the case. I was not the only human. So and, tell me uh, more about that. So where did you – you went yeah. to school in Canada, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you make the transition from that? A kid that's full of fear, like a pretty um, – <laughs> that's a pretty normal thing, right, as you're going through high school. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you transition from there, say, into the military? Blunt force and uh, no, you know what? When I was when I was in when I was in school, it was interesting because I I have I have this range, and you actually spoke to it when you when you introduced me. Um, I actually have a very strong connection to the feminine side. I'm an I'm an artist at heart. Um, before I was going to go to the military, I was actually going to be a fine painter, and I love 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 the creative side. I love beauty. I love um, expression, all of that world. And it kind of conflicts because I also really, really, really like being in the strong, masculine, get shit done kind of mentality. And I think there was this dichotomy for a really long time where, you know, half of me feels like I'm a a tough, abrasive person and I'm going to get shit done no matter what. And then the other half is this like really deep, sentimental, connected, open hearted, um, you know, like. I remember when I was a kid, I used to build a rock, like rock walls around that were in the field because I didn't want them to mow them down. And and then I remember shaming myself being like, oh, man, what kind of a guy builds, you know, protects flowers? <laughs> and then being like, but, but the flower. And it was this, you know, this dichotomy. And there would be, uh, you know, I was the only kid in my high school to have a, a, a tattoo sleeve. And um, wow, I that's, I was super- that's intense. Oh, I worked, I worked in a tattoo shop when I was 16. Wow. And, uh, oh, but the funny thing was, you know, everybody goes, oh, this guy's intense. He's got tattoos. And yet all of my tattoos were these really sentimental things 
about you know seizing the, the day for life and appreciating everything. And, oh, the irony. Um, yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people thought that it was it was because I was tough and didn't care. But it, um, I mean, for me, it had so much more connection to. You know, I felt like I was the only person who actually had tattoos that meant something mm. at the time. And then I think now we realize if you really look, everybody, everybody's tattoo means something. They just don't often know what it meant, why they did it, but they did it for a reason. And, um, you know, I remembered, I remembered being, being young and, and actually not having that, that mission. I mean, when we're young, we don't know what the mission is at all. And by mission, I mean, like that thing that like, why the hell am I even on this earth? Like it, I feel so insignificant. I'm a speck of dust against the, the 7 billion people at the time that are on this planet. So like, what is my life here actually for? Um, how I felt like I had to compensate was I actually had a read. I have a, I had, I have a reading disability. Um, it's called Erlen syndrome, which means like it's ocular focusing. So the words are kind of blurry sometimes for me. And that felt like I was a fundamentally flawed human being. Um, and I felt like I always had to hide that in school. I went through my entire education and nobody knew. And yet I'd be going home and I'd, I'd actually have to ask my mom to read me books so that I could do book reports. And I would you know, pay off my brother to do certain essays for me. And it was like half of the, well, more than half of the education system was completely inaccessible to me, but I didn't know how to ask for help. So I, I just, I felt, you know, separate. I felt alone. I felt like there was an entire world that um, I didn't really get to fit in. And so I had to be really, really good at other stuff, like really, really shiny at other stuff. So I got good at art. I got good at, um, at physical fitness. You know, I was on most of the sports teams. I was always just trying to shine and shine and shine. And I think that's what forced me into the military, to be honest, um, I looked at the art thing and it just didn't feel like it was going to be a successful career and I really wanted to provide for a family. And because academic was completely shut off to me based on the belief that I had, um, it was like, well, the highest contribution that I can do is actually putting my body in harm's way and being okay with that. So I joined the military. And um, Afghanistan was at the height and mixed with... uh, you know, the compensation factor, when I signed up, I literally said, what's the most dangerous job? Just put me on the front line. And it what you know, I look back and it was a lot of trying to prove that I was a tough man and trying to prove that I wasn't a wussy and, um, and just trying to really erase that story by, by choosing something that would have the story be erased. Like you'll never be able to, to prove that I'm, I'm a wussy because I'm doing this job now. And uh, so that you, you struggle yeah. to overcome that that, that artistic side or that feminine side you did, did you want to shut that down or you didn't know how to be with it or what was the conflict or what were you trying to overcome i think a lot of it was um perceiving it in two different ways like i really really appreciated it um for me it was like life was just through the artistic eye life is just painted with a brighter palette um and obviously with women it always worked really well um, I could, I could bring that, that feminine side and they're just like, Oh my God, he actually understands me. Like he, he knows how to maneuver around. And so I, in one sense, it, I was quite a ladies man and that always worked out. But then in another sense, it was like, uh, I think, 
I had really, really strong male connections, but I could never bring that side to it without the thought that like it would be, you know, judged or something. And so when I left high school and joined the military, I actually shut that down like completely. And for my entire military career, um, you know, I didn't draw, didn't paint, didn't write, um, really shut down that side. And it was interesting, you know, it was, it was an interesting, interesting part. Yeah. I relate to this just with being gay and, you know, I went to an all boys school and knew I was gay at a young age, but did everything I could to try and suppress anything that might look gay or look for <laughs> yeah. fear of not fitting in or being beaten up or whatever it was. And so I've always had that struggle of being, well, I am a very masculine guy. I feel very masculine, but I also like kissing boys. <laughs> so how do I, how do I balance the two? And so yeah. I kind of, on a different level, I understand that conflict as well. Well, and it's interesting, right? Like there's even, um, that connection where like, I'm straight, I'm, I'm a straight person, but the femininity of it was always perceived a little differently. And I know now, and even my work, um, a lot of it is like, you feel like you have this aspect of you when you're younger that like just the world wouldn't appreciate. Like, you know, if I brought me, then the world's not going to appreciate it. And so I think when you're young and you have that, that feeling, it's, it's almost like you can be with part of me, but if you saw all of me, you wouldn't actually like me. And so therefore as a human, um, some of the stories that we develop are like, I'm unlovable, like as a human, like as a, you know, based on if I were to actually express who I am and what I want, um, you would reject me or you would leave me behind. There's a piece of me that's fundamentally flawed. Yeah. And you can think like survival wise, right? Like if we were back in our primal day, that that makes total sense why you wouldn't share that because the second you're different, the second you're an outcast, the second you don't get fed and you die. And, um, it's a survival trait that works really, really well. and, And it actually serves us quite well in our younger years. But what we make that mean when we grow up is that like, we still carry that story, you know, we still, well, I mean, for me, I won't speak for all of humanity. For me, I still carry that story when I got into my adult years that like, there was an aspect of me that could not be completely appreciated. And, uh, I remembered even being in the military and thinking, you know, like, I'm a pretty tough guy. Like I, I went and did things that, you know, or, wow, like, you know, I went into some elite units, I went into the hardest selections on earth in the military. And you'll never be able like, at, at no time could I ever test my limits. Like I just kept going and going and going and going and going. But at the time, I remembered thinking like, there's an aspect of me that's completely untapped. Like, it, it's just not even ex- in existence. Like I can think on a different level, I can feel on a different level. And I don't have to shut it off, but it actually just doesn't, it doesn't even apply here. And when I left the military and got into the coaching community and I found that to really work with a client powerfully, like you have to bring the range, you have to be able to meet people at a very nurturing, feminine, sensitive level. And you also, you also have to bring in this masculine, strong presence. It's like, Hey, get shit done. You said you were going to do this now go. But to bring both and that range that's not exclusive of the other. And for me, man, that, that was like, it was like, wait a minute. 
not only do you appreciate that I have that, but like it actually makes me more successful that I have access to a feminine side. Yeah, this is nice. Because, oh my God, it, it was like, uh, it was a revelation for me because I started hearing things in conversations that other people weren't hearing. And I started, when I started building relationships in business and, you know, I can go out there and I, I, I've got, you know, the, the balls, if you'll say, call anybody and get them on the phone and, and propose, you know, the rates that I want to propose and, and build the business in a way that in other people look at it, they go, wow, that's, that's exponential growth. Like going from nothing to a double six figure business in under a year. Um, they go, that, that's crazy. And so that was the, you know, charge, 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 charge. But what people didn't see was it was the subtle connection. It was the remembering things from people. It was the, the subtle, like, Hey, I heard you said, you said this, like, what did you mean by that? And it was that really, um, not sensitive, like I'm, you know, don't say that cause you're going to hurt me, but sensitive to the small cues. And, you know, I think when I started looking into it, that sensitivity was like consciousness. It was the ability to start listening to the vibration of things and listening to the way people operate and listening to where they're coming from and their story and fuck man, like just getting them deeper than anybody else has ever got them. And that was, you know, for, for me, it was like, this is an asset. And yeah, yeah I feel, feel, I feel, energy. You're like, feel you're, to, to start to access that for, for the first time when it's been kind of laying dormant, it's a part of you that's so, uh, such a big part of you that hasn't been accessed. Like how did it feel when mm. you started using that and it became an asset? You know, it's interesting cause I'll talk through the lens of even a person who's denied their masculinity for a while. Or denied that like powerful presence because maybe they've, you know, had a, a father that was really powerful and they learned like, hey, don't be that powerful because people think you're an asshole or something. And uh, I know that there's this when you get to use a part of you, like that feels like you, but you get to use it in a way that's like creative, like not drawing, but like creation, creating something with who you actually are. It feels like harmony. It feels like peace. It feels like integrity. Like, like I'm building something that I really, truly want to build, and I'm doing it with all of me, um, not just what I think I need to be for this. You know, not the, um, let's say, the woman that goes to work and she thinks that she needs to be a man in order to be successful. And so she's like, yeah, I'm kind of building this, but I don't get to bring my femininity. I don't get to bring um, this aspect of me. Or you know, the man that's, you know, goes to create a, goes to build a house, but he doesn't get to bring that creation sensitive side that looks at like, you know, what's the way that the sun is going to hit this? And what's the feeling going to be when we come in here? What's the experience people are going to have of the house and actually tapping into both. And so I think it was the integration of both that felt like, wow, I'm, I'm building fully with all of me for all of me and I'm putting all of me into it. And that it just feels powerful. Um, you know, I can't think of many other definitions of power when I think of that. Yeah, I think so many people that talk about that feeling of emptiness or not being fulfilled, you're touching on exactly what's missing. There's a gift that's inside of you, and for you it lay dormant right through your first career until mm. now you got to bring it out. And there's a lot of people that I talk to that just have these gifts. They've forgotten about them. They've suppressed them. I was just talking to my brother about this yesterday and mm -hmm. he was talking to someone and he 
they were asking why he was doing all this self-help work and personal development. And he said, because there's been a voice inside of me that's wanted to help the planet and help people my whole life. And for the first time, I'm not going to ignore it. Mm. You know, um, it, it just it reminds me of this beautiful saying that I heard, and it was, you cannot outperform your own limiting beliefs. And I remember the first time I heard that, it kind of blew my mind because it was like, wait a minute. So my limiting beliefs are the limit. And I mean, it's inherently in the name. But what that said was like, I can have hopes and dreams beyond that. And I can have visions beyond that. But who I think I am is the limit. And I cannot outperform who I think I am. And I may for a moment, and you know, I'm going to get success beyond that. But it's going to get really uncomfortable. I'm going to bounce back to who I am right away. And there's something so fascinating in that because, you know, one of the limiting beliefs that I talked about was like, you know, who I am is fundamentally flawed. Like um, the fact that I have a sensitive side is a flaw. But then you mix in one of my other stories, which was, you know, I've got a reading disability, so I'm not an academic. So again, we're coming back to like, I'm not enough for what I actually want to do. And I think one of the one of the reasons why people don't feel fulfilled is like they innately know that they can create way more than they ever thought that they could create. But the story that they actually have creates this limit, right? So it's almost like, it's almost like if I put you in a, in a tin suit, like one of those like night suits, maybe it's not made of tin, I don't know what kind of metal it is, I'm not a medieval expert, but let's say I put you in it, let's say I put you in a tin suit and I say, go run like the hundred meter dash. And you'd be like, all right. And you're like, clank, 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 clank. And you, like, you know, you just, I just imagine this vision of you hob- hobbling down. <laughs> the Tin Man. <laughs> yeah, like the, the Tin Man hobbling down. And you're like, wow, you know, I ran the 100 meters. And it's like, but you know that the muscles that you have inside are capable of going so, so much faster. But the way that you're using them and the way that it's operating, it just feels like you're, you're burning so much for so little. Like you're putting out so much energy and yet you're not really getting the distance you could go. And, um, and that's something that's really fascinating to me is like, it's not always about getting more. It's not about getting stronger. It's not about getting smarter. It's actually about letting go of the shit that you have. Um, cause that's the resistance. That's the part that actually, you know, if you want holds people's holds people back. Um, and that it, as we go, and you know, as we we're talking about even my story, like I, I, I look and I can identify those. I can go, oh yeah, like I didn't, you know, go to university because I thought I couldn't read. Um, it turns out I actually just needed this really silly pair of glasses, and it made the entire problem go away. Oh wow! But it took me, it took me until my twenties to actually find that out. And I actually, I, I'd been recommended them when I was younger, but it didn't really, didn't really work at the time. And but it was funny because you know I didn't, I didn't take an entire trajectory of my life because of a story. Um, you know, I, I was on the, the front line of Afghanistan disarming bombs because I thought that that's where my gift was. It almost got me killed. And I mean, in hindsight, it worked out pretty good because it made me the person I am. And, and I'm always thankful for that. But man, like I lied to myself the moment that I condemned myself saying, you know, I'll never be able to do something. Therefore, this is my only trajectory. And, um, you look at it from 10,000 feet and you're like, it's just plain a lie. Like I didn't have to choose any of that stuff. How did the all. military push you in that path? It's a bit of a loaded question, but the, the, sure. the, the cliche being that 
the military comes and just suppresses any of that feminine feeling side, makes you a warrior, makes you a soldier, hardens you up, beats you down, builds you back up. Um, was that your experience or is that an outdated cliche? I think it's an outdated cliche. Um, it was my choice. Um, you know, it's always my choice how I show up. Um, there was what I thought the military wanted and what I thought like, you know, they needed and who I thought I had to be. And the more I even now being on the outside of the community and come back in the community, it's like, um, you know, it was about a week ago, I was teaching the psychology of leadership to a group of like very, very, very high performing soldiers. And the stuff that they brought up, it was, you know, it's, it's sensitive stuff. They're talking about like the struggles that they have with even their subordinates and operations and people not understanding them and feeling like who they are is just not enough and people don't get them. And it's not that it's wrong. It's just, you're never really given the space for it because it's just not a conversation people know how to have. They don't have the tools. They don't, and, you know, people bring up something sensitive and you're like, oh shit, I don't, I don't have the tools to, to deal with that. And yet um, it's an area that actually needs it the most because you look at some of the trauma that goes on. You look at some of the hardship, some of the, you're put in some of the most adverse conditions on earth and then told, you know, well, you're not, you're expected to then still have a functioning family and a functioning life. And yet you're dealing with more stress and more adversity than the average person will ever deal with in a lifetime. And this you've is got a no PTSD out- type issue. Well, and I don't want to go into like PTSD, but even, you know, cause that's, we're talking about trauma, trauma there. Right. But, e- but even on a, on a, on a normal level, like the amount that people face, but not having an outlet to actually express that, um, or be like, you know what, man, as a human, like I just feel scared or I feel overwhelmed and you don't actually need anything, but you just need the space to say that. So experiences where you felt, yeah, scared, you felt fear, like where, and, and you had to kind of push through it. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I remembered being in Afghanistan and, um, there, there was a time when our patrol, um, so who I was in the patrol just for context was my job was to take the first step. Um, cause I was supposed to find bombs, anything that was hidden in the ground, hidden in walls, behind doors, um, anything to do with explosives. And my job was to make sure that the people as we got to where they needed to get to alive. And so you're, you know, 21 at the time, and I'm the guy taking the first step in ground that is, you know, almost every single day we're finding an IED, which is an improvised explosive device, um, in the ground. And so, you know, most days, like, I'm, I'm the guy. And I remember one day we were out and somebody else in a patrol quite near us um, stepped on something. And it was an Afghan soldier, not a Canadian soldier. And... I saw it. And so not only has someone just, um, you know, it's going to be graphic. So if you don't want to hear graphic things, just close yours for a second. But not only has someone just completely obliterated in front of you, but that's when my job started. When there's one bomb in the ground, there's normally two or three or four, because when something explodes, there's mass chaos that goes around and people, you know, if they're not trained, they start freaking out and running around more things go off and then that's when you start getting shot at and it's kind of ambush territory. So this, this person, um, steps on something, something explodes. And when everybody else has to stop, I'm the guy that has to go. So I yell, you know, stop, 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 stop. 
Um, and we start literally inch by inch by inch searching around people's feet um, with a metal detector, a paintbrush, a knife. Like we're poking the ground and covering the ground, making sure that the ground is safe for people to, to walk on. And we're still dealing with, with now a body. And we kept finding them. Um, I think that day we found about four different devices, like inches from my, my, my buddy's feet. And I remember coming back and being so exhausted. Like we, that day, I mean, we're talking like 58 degrees Celsius on some of the days there as well. And being so exhausted and people going like, holy shit, man, like, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be alive. And if it wasn't for you, you know, I would have stepped on that thing. And I couldn't hear it. I couldn't hear what they were saying because the whole time I was so scared shitless. I like, I, I just couldn't even hear the acknowledgement at all. I couldn't hear it for years. Um, because at the time, like, I was like, well, you don't know how afraid I was. Like, I, I was just terrified and I kept going. And it wasn't until like years later that somebody had said, hey, um, just so you know, that's called the definition of courage, to be afraid and go forward anyways. And it was like, you know, what? That, that's called courage, to be afraid and go forward anyways? And, um, you know, I know it's not the question you asked, but it was, a, it was a pinnacle moment for me because I'd been afraid my entire life, tried to prove that I wasn't afraid by doing the craziest things on the planet. And in a result, suddenly found out that I was courageous. And, um, you know, I kept trying not to have fear and realized that what I actually found was courage. And that was, wow. um, yeah. Yeah, incredible story, man. And in that moment, what are you feeling in that moment when you have to go in and have that courageous moment? Are you completely turned off to those emotions you're feeling it and just you know you have to go anyway what's it like um it's to be honest it's more primal um there is a like you have the fear you can hear it but you you, you it's actually not a choice anymore like oh okay well i can be afraid and i can you know crumble and i can cry in the corner but at the end of the day like nothing's going to move forward. Like your fear is cool and you can have it, but you still have to go. And I think there was that acknowledgement and that responsibility that like, Hey, I'm the only guy in this group that actually knows what the hell to do right now. I'm the only guy with, you know, at the time I had a metal detector. And so what, you know, where there was an initial fear, what actually came in after that was the sense of responsibility um, and not responsibly like I have to from like blame, shame, or, you know, like if you don't do it, but it was this like, okay, this is my job. Um, this is what I'm here for. This is why I came to protect these guys, to serve these guys. And so you're, you still have the fear, but you're stepping forward from a place of like responsibility. Like, you know, I'm going to keep going, but I'm going to go because I'm here for you. And um, it was, you know, for me, I remember being, that being like such a pinnacle moment in understanding what service actually meant that, you know, to give your life for someone else, but not from a, a place of like, um, you know, just to be a hero, but actually the feeling of 
you need me because I have something that you don't have, or I'm in a situation where I can support you. And I'm totally willing to put myself in harm's way with you to get you out of it. I'm willing to, to come into the hell with you and, and then pull you out. And I think that it's something that I learned about service that it, you can't explain to people. And I, I do, I try to do my best, but it's hard to explain what it means to actually uh, put your life on the line to then save somebody else's. And then you actually come out with two lives where, you know, before you were only saving your own. And it's a and, feeling, a feeling that you have. Yeah. It's, it's this, um, honor. It is service. It is, um, it's noble. It feels noble. I mean, at the time I think it, it, you're just, you're just in it and you're just going. But, um, but I do remember, you know, I remember being in those conversations with people and, uh, there was, there was a guy where we were discussing like, you know, who should go down the path first. And I was like, Oh, you've got children. And he's like, no, 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 but you're so young. And we realized that we're, we're debating for whose life is worth more, whose life, you know, it, should somebody blow up, um, who, whose life will be the most contribution from that point on. And I think there was, there is a bit of that nobility when you're, you're trying to measure and discuss who's going to go and who's not going to go and um, who's going to put their life on the line and who's not going to put their life on the line. And it's such, um, our, our mutual friend, Izzy Arkin, um, he's uh, the ninja, as most people will know him. He said, he said to me one time, and it really framed it for me. He said, you, you know the truth. And uh, at first, I didn't understand his his um, riddle. And uh, <laughs> as most of the things he says are so profound that they often confuse me. Yeah. And uh, he goes, you know, well, most of the people are are struggling with problems that just keep coming and appearing. He goes, you you understand the truth that those aren't problems. That you know, as long as you're alive, as long as you're moving forward, that's all that counts. And being in a scenario like that, it really was like a truth teller. Like when you understand what true survival is, it's, it's not about, you know, if I can make it through another day with 10 likes on Facebook, then I'm good to go. Or, you know, if, if my partner and I have sex, then, then, you know, my life is complete. But really understanding, like, honestly, what a gift it is to be alive and I think after facing something like that, you know what truth is. And you know that like there's, you know, fear is, is just fear. It's just a feeling. It's no different than a fart. And you can go anyways. And I think when you know that truth of like what real fear actually is, and it doesn't mean to discount any fear that people have and say, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, don't feel it. But to know that like, hey, it's cool that you have that fear, but you can go anyways because your life's not actually in danger. Like nothing's actually in peril. The consequence really isn't going to be lifelong. Um, so it's okay. And I, Izzy gave me such a gift when he said that, cause it really did. Um, it really did reflect like how I do some of the things that I do because I just, um, it, I just don't see things like a threat. Well, it's such a gift to have someone like you roaming the planet with that insight. And 
thank you for modeling that as well and making it real for people. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, th thanks for that one because that's the part that I come back with. Um, it's why I built Reclaiming Warrior, my company, is um, I just see so many people with so much power and they're using their power. And I mean, you know, great power comes great responsibility, but they're using their power in such really strange ways uh, to amount success or amount finances of some sort. When I think when you understand the bottom line, like the world actually needs um, strong leaders. The world needs people that are willing to not just fight for themselves, but fight for change, fight for their communities, uh, be a contribution. And I think when you understand like how much contribution you can have and how much impact you actually can have, then you start acting above your own self-interests and you start trying to actually do something about the problems you see. Um, I mean, Nathan, man, it, it's why I'm on this podcast. Like, when I heard about your commitment to, to drastically drop the amount of male suicide, I was like, um, man, here, here's somebody who is not only out there creating and has a, has a very successful career, but is saying, okay, what I also see is there's a problem over here that I want to deal with because I'm not okay with that. I'm not willing to, you know, have my entire life go by while this kind of stuff is happening. Yeah, I find and, it hard. Personally, for me, I feel it deeply that how can your success really feel that good if other people are struggling? And if I feel great, well, that's good. That's the first step. And I feel fulfilled and happy and I'm making a difference. But if there's a big problem in my country that other men are killing themselves at a ridiculous rate because they don't want to live on this planet anymore, how can I be okay with that? Exactly. Yeah. It's... um. It's interesting what you touched on before, like I relate to it in flying as well, um, you know, when the shit hits the fan, there has to be only two people on the aeroplane that don't panic, and <laughs> that's, that's the pilots, right? And that's where the training comes in, because I think we had this conversation before where we train over and over and over again in simulators, just repeated dire emergency situations and you don't really have an option but to stay cool and start working through it and mm -hmm. it's kind of a skill that you develop um but i think it becomes quite valuable actually in other parts of oh. life i mean think about as a coach right when you when you get a client that comes to you and they go my life is falling apart and you go well okay Let's take a look at this. And yeah. you don't, you know, jump on the court with them and go, wow, it is, it is falling apart. Like, should we toast and watch it burn down? Um, it, it's something that, uh, that training, like you said, it, it's invaluable because you look now and you go, um, people can bring you such complex scenarios and you go, okay, let's simplify it. What's step one? What's mm. step two? Mm. And um, it, it is really valuable. I, I totally see that. What is How, the, like, no, go ahead. 
Oh, it's going to change um, change direction a little bit. You, sure. You're a new company um, called Reclaiming Warrior. Why did you <laughs> use that title? What does what does that mean to you, Warrior? First of all, and why Reclaiming Warrior? Mm. So, thanks. Yeah, I, I love that. I often get asked that question, and, and sometimes it feels like such a long backstory of what warrior means to me, but it really isn't. Um, I love adversity. Um, when I hear people that, that have had really hard lives and they talk about all the, the shit that's happened to them, I love it. Um, I'm one of those few people that goes, thank God you had that happen to you. Because if you choose, that will make you who you are. And when I look at, um, you know, you look at some of the highest performing people on this planet, whether it's in, and let's just look in the warrior realm, whether it's a Navy SEAL or a special ops or in the, the world that I was in, you're not born that way. You were born these very, like, you know, happy little creatures. Um, and we'd get eaten up by most things right away. And we learn to be resilient and we learn to be tough and we learn to um, be able to overcome the odds. And then what I love about warriors is they're not just someone who's resilient. They're somebody who's resilient. They fight for something. And a warrior is not just somebody that is you know, tough and goes and just, um, and we're not even talking about warrior in the aspect of somebody that just kills other people. We're talking about just they fight on behalf of something. And as I was going through who I was working with and the method that I was working with people and really started boiling down what it is we were doing, I realized like, wow, I'm, I'm giving them something to fight for. And we're helping them distinguish like, what do they want their life to be in service of? You know, when they, what, what's their legacy? What have they put their name behind? What have they been willing to put all their assets behind to live for, to bleed for, to die for? And when I started to ask myself, you know, what do you call someone who's willing to, to put themselves in the line to, to be a champion? Uh, to be a leader for something more than themselves, it was like, oh, they're a warrior. And then what I realized as uh, the progression was going, and I'm really working on the branding of it, um, I said, well, I don't make people warriors because I'm not giving them something. A lot of what we're doing is actually, like we're talking about the limiting beliefs, we're actually getting rid of stuff. We're helping them remember the power that's actually innately there, like who they are before they were told that they couldn't do it, who they are before they realized that, you know, they were fundamentally flawed or something. And it was this feeling of like, there is warrior energy in all people. Um, you know, if you ever seen a mother who's pissed off, you got that mama bear energy, it comes out of nowhere. Um, or, you know, even that father, um, who's, you know, don't challenge somebody's family. You'll, you'll see what, what happens when you poke that beehive. And it's that energy that I love. I love that energy of people that are willing to just rise up and like just become these extraordinary human beings and heroes, if you willing to actually do something about the problems or the issues that we see in our world. And so uh, Reclaiming Warrior was about reclaiming that aspect of you that's willing to fight for something, um, reclaiming that energy of power and reclaiming that, that champion that you're willing to, to do something for your community and contribute and have a great life yourself, of course, but start watching the needle actually move forward of progression. So 
that's so beautiful yeah i love it and the natural next question is like when you tell someone to reclaim their warrior is who am i to do that who am i to make a difference in the world i'm just uh Mm. this or that or i'm just a stay-at-home mother or whatever it is who am i to actually make a difference in the world yeah i reply to that i love that question um because i get it i mean who am i it keeps us really safe you know we we don't really have to go forward as long as we keep asking that question and it gets to be a perfect distraction as long as you keep our as long as you keep trying to answer that question you're not actually going for it and one of the things that i love to to work with people on is um declared identity so if i were to talk to somebody two years ago um, i would not be the person that i am right now Uh, three years ago four years ago i wouldn't have been the person i was two years ago because who i am today was was actually a declaration i designed this person Um, i said this is who i was going to be in the world you know uh, it was about three and a half years ago i was in a hospital bleeding out from a diving injury um, that had happened in the military I was absolutely skin and bones, um, not even close to the human I am right now. And I remember getting through that surgery, and, and there's such a backstory for that, but literally being in the need to say, well, I've got nothing, so who am I going to be now? And saying, well, if I'm going to rebuild, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build myself to be this person. And so I designed the person I am right now. Um, I designed, you know, the books that I read and, and what I knew and who I was and what I was associated with in the world and the impact that I was having. Because I think when we when we we say, well, okay, who am I t- to do that? I go, you know what? I'll play with you for a second. Maybe you're not enough right now. You're probably not. Because if you were enough, you'd be already doing those things. But what if you decide to become that person, the person who could do that? Um what if you decided that instead of, you know, deciding that you're not that person right now because you don't have anything that you need, okay, what if you decided to actually become that person and you could design with that person? And I think that, for me, is the ultimate choice, is not just choosing, you know, what you want or your experience, but you actually get to choose who you are. And there's no such thing as these, like, um, these fixed identities you know, the, the label of the mother of two from the deep south and she's fundamentally flawed or, um, you know, the, the man who has to do this and he has to have this career. These are labels and they're, and they're actually momentary labels and everything is so momentary. And so when people say, who am I? I go, you're right. You're not enough. Let's play for a second. Um, who do you want to become? Who do you actually want to create? Uh, what is the person you actually want to become? And it's not a disservice to who they are. It's not saying that they're not enough right now. It's actually they're perfect for the life that they have. They are extraordinary for the life that they have. And now we can actually, through declaring like a, a grandiose future, a future that we're going to live into, uh, the person that you would become in order to create that. And there's that beautiful marrying between having a massive vision and having a massive vision of who you get to become on the way to creating that. And I think that two things happen when, when, that, when you do that. One, you get peace of mind that you can both have your vision and feel inadequate right now. 
because you're like, okay, <laughs> like can be both. Yeah, I, I can have a vision and I can be inadequate. And then you, you also get to understand that like you get to then go into the the learner's mindset, the trainer's mindset, and you get to choose. You actually get like the option of choice. And it's that, you know, even what you call it, the 1% rule where you just, you're just improving just 1% every single day. And then you get to, to end up in that place. And so, um, you know, if you're listening to this, what does that look like? There's this exercise I do and it, and it's called, um, the man who summited Everest. And this is something I made. It's not proprietary. It's just kind of fun. And what I do when I have to make a decision is I, I think about this man who summited Everest and you know, this, for this man, and maybe Everest is just a, a model, but for this man, he, you know, he, the pinnacle of his life was, was climbing the highest mountain on the planet. And he comes back, and his, his bags are still covered in dirt and, and maybe snow still, and they're in the, in the living room, and he's sitting on the couch, and he has to make the same decision you have to make. And maybe it's something like, do I make that call? Do I not make that call? Do I have that conversation? Do I not have that conversation? Do I do this? Do I invest this? Do I not invest that? And I often think I get present to that man. And I go, what would he do? You know, what decision would he make right now? And I outsource that decision to the person I'm becoming versus the person that I am or the, with the fear and the beliefs that I have right now. And it is such, uh, when you start making decisions in line with that person, your life actually moves towards that person. And it's this really interesting um, energy process where you just day by day, choice by choice, you actually end up as that person. And, um, in a lot of ways, you know, the way you acknowledge me at the start of this call is exact acknowledgement that that worked for me because I designed this person day by day. Yeah. And that, that, that feeling of what I love about that is making that decision because I think we do it the other way around. We start getting caught up in the, who am I to do that? There's no way yeah. I could do that. How the fuck am I going to achieve that? Therefore, I will never make the decision to try and be that. Whereas mm -hmm. you're saying, hey, sure, you have no idea how to do that. And we see that, James, in our world, like time and time again with people with big vision. They have no idea how they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And they're completely inadequate. <laughs> but they've made the decision, this is the change I want to be in the world. And... I love a phrase that Rich uses quite a bit is that becomes a place to come from, not a place to get mm. to. So mm. if you're someone that uh, wants to create this huge, well, what, what's your huge vision? Do you mind mentioning it? Yeah. So um, my huge vision is a world where we still have conflict, but it's not armed conflict. Um, understanding that you cannot shoot your neighbor in order to get power. Um, I think that often when we think about world peace, we think that everybody's just going to get along all the time. And, um, I don't think that's true. And I think, you know, if we can even get to the point where we understand that we can be angry at our, our neighbors, but we just can't kill them. Um, that's my long shot vision is to, is to get a world where we can be in conflict, but it has nothing to do with taking a life. Um, yeah. It's incredible. And you've had firsthand experience of not being in that world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you create this huge vision i guess you know it's safe to say you're inadequate to fulfill that right now but you've made the yes. decision that that's something worth living into yeah and it, you know there's uh 
one of the things that I love is how exists in the world of yes. And what that means is like, once you say yes, the how comes. And I've noticed this really extraordinary experience where I just said, yep, that's my vision. That's what I'm building this world for. Um, it's why I work with exponential leaders, people that impact people, because when I work with my clients, a hundred people's lives will change. Um, and that's kind of my criteria. If I work with you, a hundred people, other, a hundred other lives will change. Mm. And what I started realizing when I declared that was suddenly everything I needed started coming together. And it was really interesting. Someone's like, oh man, you should talk to these military generals and help them with leadership development. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then you know, next thing you know, I'm getting connected with the people I need. And that I've sounds the like for someone off the street that's not military, that sounds terrifying to suddenly be and on to the me, phone with a general. Oh, and to me, I, I love it. Um, I've, you know, there's exactly some of those limiting stories is like, well, who am I? You know, they're a, what we, when we're kids, we look at military general. And yet, um, when you get to the, the human level, I mean, we're all humans. We all want mostly the same thing. We're all driven by mostly the same thing. And, um, but, you know, back to it, when I declared yes, the how started coming together. And, um, you know, actually down in, or in May, I'll be flying to Texas and I'll be involved in a community of, of veterans that are, you know, they're transitioning back into the world and transitioning and actually taking their leadership that used to be in the military and turning their leadership into contributing back to their country and to the planet. And um, it seems like these, something we haven't done successfully recently. Yeah. It, that's why um, it is my, the, the side project. And actually, I mean, it's becoming the main project for reclaiming warriors, helping veterans reclaim their warrior and take back, you know, they, most veterans feel completely alive when they're they're doing their highest purpose. They're they're on a mission and they're they're overseas, and they come back and they often feel the the fires put out. And um, so what we do is we actually support veterans to to light that fire again and figure out what would fuel them, what would fire their lives up, what would um, ignite them, like what what can they really put their heart behind again, whether you know they're fully intact or their limbs missing we actually want to help them discover um, what now. And that it's often the question that we get asked a lot is what now? And so I've got an amazing team of people um, lined up that as the veteran community comes to us and, and says, you know, Hey, I've got massive capabilities. Um, I know myself to be an extraordinary leader. I know myself to be someone that, that can really get shit done. And I don't really know what to do with that. Cause I don't just want to work behind a desk um, I don't just want to mow lawns. Um, I know that I can do something really extraordinary, but they just don't know what. So we're um, really trying to help and and support that entire demographic of people to get reignited, to light their life back on fire, and um, be extraordinary contributing members of society again. That's beautiful, man. That's a worthwhile worthwhile cause for sure. Hmm. And. Another thing I want to touch on that you shared with me a few weeks ago is when you start creating this big vision and then you start working towards it, the first thing that seems to happen is everything shows up uh, where you're inadequate, like you said, and where you can't achieve that and where you're not that in your life. And you mentioned this kind of hockey stick 
curve on the graph. Can you explain mm. that a little bit more? Um, just give me a little bit more context. I remember the conversation a little yeah, bit. But... You were saying that uh, you, you'd kind of, uh, you were stepping into something bigger and then immediately everything started to collapse around you and it felt like everything was going backwards. And it's kind of oh. this, this hockey stick <laughs> effect, you know, where you kind of, you start, you go, right, this is what I want to do. This is who I'm going to be. And then immediately everything kind of starts to collapse and it, it goes backwards <laughs> before it gets better. Totally. So um, there's two ways that you can have a breakdown. And uh, breakdown does not always mean, you know, fists and, and angry and running around all the place. But you got to kind of realize that like the life that you have is pretty fine tuned. And most people they go, well, my life is not that fine tuned. But even the way that we do our life is so fine tuned, where there's not a whole lot of room for more without like our mentality getting stretched or tested or even our systems getting stretched or tested. And like, for instance, like the way people fill their calendars, whether they have a lot in it or not, if I were to suddenly give them like 50% more opportunity or tasks, like they're going to feel a breakdown. They're going to feel like I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. And so it's this really interesting thing when you declare that you're going to do something more, you have that vision you have to actually break down the life that you have right now. Um, and it's, it feels catastrophic. It feels like life is ending because we realize that we don't have room for both the life that we have and the life that we want. And it's because the life that we have isn't built for massive visions. It, it just, you didn't have a massive vision before. So look at it. Now you have one and things actually start collapsing. And, and it, it's actually really good to do that. You don't want to do that. Like, all in once, you don't want to just collapse everything and fire your clients and um, quit your job and break up with your partner. But there is a process where the systems that you have right now break down and you actually have to break, and with that breakdown creates the room to build new things. And where people miss is that breakdown actually means breakthrough. Like when we have a breakdown, it means that you're having a breakthrough. So you can't break through into this new level of, we'll call it exponential success or, or even success for some people, unless you break down the current way that you're doing things. So we break down that current system, which feels like, boom, falling apart. But then comes the clean space to start building a new structure, a new framework, a new mindset. Um, but first we got to end, end the one that we have. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because... It, it looks, it does look, uh, that process, it does look like a breakdown. But in reality, when you, you take that uh, larger, more macro view of it, it's like, okay, now you've declared that this is something you're up for and this is what you want to move towards. Mm -hmm. Now the process comes of breaking down your old life so you can rebuild, mm -hmm. you know, this I, new um, life or this new person. Exactly. I, I kind of think of it like... Um, you know, if I was a contractor and I bought or a developer and I bought some property and I built an apartment building and the apartment building was kind of cool. It was kind of good, you know, paid the bills. It was pretty good. And suddenly one day I was like, you know what? I actually don't want an apartment building. I want a skyscraper. Like I want something that, you know, it's not just going to house like all these people. It's going to be the entire community is going to come living here. So we can do what we try to do where we're like, 
well, we don't want to upset the current tenants and we don't want to, you know, disrupt the neighborhood. So let's just try to build as much as we can on top of the current building. And we're like gluing it and taping it together and trying to like make it work without upsetting too many people and really like trying not to like just really piss people off. And then we, we realize we get to a limit where we're like, hey, the foundation that we have isn't actually strong enough for the building we want to build. And we've just been really tiptoeing around making some people upset on the way. And it's costing us so, so much. And so then we start tearing things down. We go, okay, well, we're going to build it brand new. We're going we're gonna to go right foundation and we're going to pour a foundation strong enough for the structure that we actually want. But in the process, a ton of people get evicted and they're really, really upset. And they go, Oh my God, like I'm, you know, you're displacing me and everything's happening. And the community's like, it's a mess. It's an eyesore. You're like, you know, everything gets broken down. And what you're actually doing is clearing room for something completely new, something that's never been seen before. And so we resist that the period between, um, because it feels so messy when we don't know if it's going to work. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know that the current structure isn't enough to support us. And so we, we just really resist that transition period, but it's exactly what's needed to build. It's a beautiful analogy. When you look back, of course, when you look back, you can connect the dots and go, ah, oh, I see why that's totally. happening. It just feels messy, just, messy in the moment. I just, I just made that up on the spot. So that <laughs> what, a, what a guy. Um, <laughs> You, you you really bring a message of hope for people that they can be more, that they can be bigger than their identity, than who they think they are. And I want to mm. uh, look at that from your point of view, from a more personal aspect. You went through a divorce, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm interested what you learned from that, how it played out, and and what some of the lessons were from from that. You know, it's. Through the, the world or through the lens of hope, um, I think when you, when relationships end, you know, we're, now we're in a relationship and when relationship ends and you, and you feel like that was, that was the love of my life and it comes to a close and we often think that, or I thought, I'll, you know, speak for myself, I, I thought like, that's just the end. Like there, there's no such, there's no such room for anything after that. Like once you get to that pinnacle moment, there's nothing beyond that. And it was more than that. I mean, at the same time I was, um, I couldn't do my job anymore. Like I, I had alluded to, I, I had a, a catastrophic failure of my lung while diving in the military. And it left me with like seven holes or well, seven chest tubes in my left side and a lung that was kind of almost destroyed. And, um, a body that, that couldn't even walk for a couple months. And the whole time, I mean, you know, we're like, let's actually go back to the apartment analogy for a second. I had built a really good life. Um, I was, you know, uh, in one of the best units in the military, one of the most top performing soldiers. And I thought that was as great as it could get. You know, I had a beautiful, um, beautiful life. I was, I was happily married. We had a little dog. It was, it was extraordinary. And when I look back, it was everything that was actually limiting from the life that I have right now. And it's, it's almost like I thought that good was excellent. Like I thought like, wow, this is a good life. But I never thought that excellent was possible. And 
when what's the, what's the distinction there? So the distinction was that, like, you know, based on the beliefs that I have, that you know, I my greatest contribution to life was was the ability to put my body in harm's way. Um, that I could only have so much. I was like, wow, you know, based on my like, I didn't know, but based on my beliefs, like, I'm doing really, really good. And I was at the upper limit of my beliefs, where I, I had built like the biggest, most craziest structure that I could build, and the biggest life that I could build with the thought of who I was at the within time. Within those beliefs, mm. and within a you know almost a, a, a night, it all disappears, and I, I find myself with nothing. Um, you know, I was losing my job at the time. Um, uh, my wife and I, we broke up. Um, me and my dog were living in my car for a little while and then a friend took us in and at the time it was, it was that catastrophic breakdown where my entire life had been broken down. Um, you know, and I, I think I hit it really, really well, but I had no idea what was going to happen. None. And when I look back, like it was the most needed thing possible because it was the first time in my life I'd ever asked for help. And that was when I actually started working with a coach and saying like, Hey, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to rebuild. I don't, I don't know where to go. And it was the first time that I had actually accepted community and accepted like, maybe there is another path for me because this one won't work anymore. I physically cannot do this path anymore. So I had to choose another path. You know, I, um, it became, everything that I needed because it made me start looking in different places. And when I started looking in different places, I started finding different answers. And when, you know, when I looked within the military, the answer that I got was like, you're a high performing soldier and that's that. Um, we don't want, you know, we don't really need a lot of the aspects of you. But then when I started looking into the coaching industry and started working with clients, that's when, you know, all the way back to the start of our conversation, my full abilities got to come out. It was an arena where all of me got to play. And suddenly I you know, got to see myself in a different light. I got to see myself bringing different skills um, in different ways and being a leader more than I had ever been before. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's the exact moment we're talking about, just a huge breakdown leading to incredible opportunity mm-hmm. how did keeping it on the the more personal uh level yeah. what did you take into your next relationship or how did you get over that side of your life that that feeling of being burned from a divorce um one thing that i think that people often well no i had a judgment i know i noticed that i always want to go to like the world and take it off my person <laughs> but um you know for me personally i, I had a big judgment around therapy and I thought, you know, oh, time heals all. All you have to do is use time. And it does. Like, you know, realistically, like, I, nothing was completely wrong. I, I didn't have any um, depression or anything, but it just was, like, heavy. And I had this paw moment when I realized that everybody in life is going to experience something. Like, we go even statistics, the amount of people that will either face sexual assault, some sort of abuse, some sort of uh, calamity in their life, some sort of, like, even a car crash. And what I realized was, like, wow, I'm not the only one here. 
And now I'm someone who likes performance. I like being a high performer and I like being faster than everybody else. That's where I get my love because I get to shine. People always think I look cool. Um, and so it was when I looked and I, and I said, you know, I'm carrying around this burden of a story and it's heavy and it feels a little bit crappy. And so instead of seeing therapy as a fix, I started to see it as performance. And it was like, hmm, how fast would I be if I didn't have to carry around this story anymore? Like, how well could I perform if I didn't have to really hold on to this burden? And I leaned into the process and was like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's bring the stories up. Let's distinguish. Let's, let's get this, let's get this um, up and actually be responsible for the emotion that I had felt through that. And I really uh, just took responsibility for the, the burden that I had felt. And instead of seeing it as like, oh, you know, I shouldn't feel this and I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't be burdened. I was like, okay, you know, here's what's so. I have it. I went through a pretty crazy time, you know, mixing all of my life experience. It's inevitable that I should be carrying some stuff. So instead of having a lot of judgment on myself for having it, I'm just going to go take care of it. And I think really dropping the shame around wanting to work with a therapist really, really supported me because um, it was, it, it never became an issue. And it was something that was dealt with in such an expedient amount of time because I wasn't holding on to it like I, like I thought I had to. Mm. And so that was a process that really, really, um, in conjunction, you know, it, it didn't mean that I had to stop building. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for my wellness. I'm doing this to take care of me. And I'm still building my life at the same time. And it's, so instead of... Yeah, so, so good that you brought that up. Like the, the amount of people that I've talked to that I say, you know, what was the secret? And they go, therapy. You know, like, you're right. It has such a stigma around it. I think we... Well, I, again, uh, I'll own it. Yep. That, that stigma of just the, the endless therapy, the woman sitting on the couch, lying down, <laughs> um, going on and on about all these perceived problems in their life for years and years and years with no solution and not getting anywhere. Um, mm. Is the stigma I think of, but just there's some incredible therapists out there that <laughs> I've met personally, and the work they can do, just that healing work to help you process uh, what is effectively a trauma, a personal trauma, <laughs> is incredible, incredible. <laughs> and like you said, time heals everything, but therapy heals it a thousand times quicker. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think like one of the distinctions in there is being responsible for your own healing, like not just showing up and expecting that you can just complain and complain and complain and suddenly it's going to be dealt with. Like you really have to be able to take responsibility for it. And I think like the therapist is, is, you know, you want a gifted one for sure. But for me, I also discovered is like, I have to be willing to do the work. I have to be willing to to go there and own what I can own and distinguish what I can distinguish and look at why I'm holding on to certain things and actually let those go. And it's one of the, like ending the stigma around therapy. I mean, man, how much different would our world be? Like, I'm not a therapist. I don't, I don't, I don't deal with people in a therapeutic relationship. Yeah, I mean, creation. I've never been to therapy personally, but I know it's affected so many people close to me. Well, it just, you know, for me, I go, if I had had a really hard gym day and something had happened, I would go get a massage. I would go talk to somebody who can, you know, bring up things and work it out and help me. And yet there's um, just this stigma around like needing support. And 
I mean, maybe we say it like in the, in the male community, you know, I remember as a, as a kid, the joke was that like men don't stop and ask for directions. You shouldn't need, you shouldn't need help. And, um, and I'm like, when I, when I got older, I realized how stupid that was because I was like, wait a minute, you're just going to drive around aimlessly looking for the place you want to get to, but having no sweet clue how to get there when you could just pull off and ask that dude at the gas station who lives locally, Hey, you know, where's Walmart? And I think it's one of those, one of those things where, you know, to really drop the pride and, and be like, Hey, I don't know where I'm going. And when I like, even not even in therapy, that was something that fundamentally changed my life was being able to ask, I don't know where I am. Can you help me? Because I don't have to walk around aimlessly. Like I have a massive community of people that when I'm stuck, I don't sit in the stuck. I go, okay, I'm stuck. And I pick up the phone and I go, I'm stuck. And somebody goes, Hey, you've tried this. And I go, Nope, thanks. And it's this distinction that I made, which was called um, a disempowered stuck versus an empowered stuck. A disempowered stuck says I'm stuck. And then they wallow in their stuck for as long as they need until finally a solution pops into their mind or circumstantially comes along. And then they either get unstuck or they stay stuck for their entire lives. And an empowered stuck goes, I'm stuck. Hmm, what now? And they start asking. And they start going, what can I try? Who can I ask? Who can I call? And they're responsible for their stuck. And this can happen either in a therapeutic sense where you actually need healing. You go, crap, I need some support. And you go get it. Or even in a forward-moving creation mindset where you're like going, going, going. And you're like, man, i got a block. I don't know what's going on. No matter what I do, like I always seem to run into the same issue. Cool. Go get that dealt with. Like stop like dealing with the same, you know, uh, if you ever watch those Flintstone, Flint, the Flintstones, when the car would move forward, you see tree rock bird, tree rock bird, tree rock bird. And that we would think that it was motion, but it was actually the same clip coming back over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> and so if you keep seeing the same clip over and over and over and over and over, go get that distinguished, go work with somebody, get some support. And um, when I realized to distinguish the patterns for myself and be like, I keep getting stuck here and then go ask for support. And literally, I don't have to carry that anymore. I can let that go. Man, I, I'm the most powerful person on the earth if I if I never have to be stuck, ever. You, you made that very real for me. Like, I'm definitely the guy that drives around not asking for directions. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh, oh that's me. Um, yeah, which, is, yeah, which and, is fine. But Yeah, not asking for help, not asking for support, just trying to go it alone. Mm, very <laughs> common theme. It's something I hear of a lot, actually. Well, and my question would be like, are you more committed to looking good or getting where you want to go? Yeah, I think in that moment, you're, you're more committed to looking good, more committed to yeah. not not looking like I don't get it. I don't know what mm -hmm. to do and <laughs> not wanting to admit that. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, that would be the, if, if we ask that within relationship, I would, you know, I'm going to make up a statistic on the spot like 90% of people do. Um, <laughs> glad you got that. Um, got I think, I think 80% of people in relationship would, if they were to literally look at their partner and be like, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And even in the way that we relate to our partners, if we were to look at them and be able to say, you know, I actually don't know where to go from here. Like, can you, can you help me with this? And not always having to have the answer needing to be right but actually be in partnership with our partner. Um, whether that's Ironically. a business partner, a romantic partner, I know, right? Partnership and partnership, what? <laughs> um, but not even like, you know, relationship. It, it can be our business partners. It can be our family. It can be um, relationship is the one 
thing. I mean, we have a relationship with everything in our lives. And to be able to stop and be like, hey, I actually want your support with this. Man, it, it energy, time, resources, money, freed up at your disposal, and away we go. Yeah, difficult and awkward, but uh, so many things open up as a result. Totally. Yeah. So in a moment, I'm going to ask how people can contact you, uh, who you're looking for in terms of clients, who you're looking for in terms of support of your vision, because a lot of people want to reach out to you. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, the last question I always ask guys is about their dark side, because it's a, a fascinating thing. It's not something I hear talked about a lot, whether it's a sexual dark side, whether it's that um, sense of uh, anger or, you know, that, that thing that's quite innate in the masculine side of us that sometimes gets channeled in the wrong ways. I'm interested about your dark side, whether you have a dark side that you acknowledge, whether you've ever thought about it before or whether it's something you're actively working on. Mm. I have no dark side. I'm only light, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. The first guy ever. (laughs) Yeah, right? What? You're a human being. Um, Part of the dark side for me, I think, one is like the inadequacy um, and like what feeling inadequate does. A part of um, my, like confidence and and the showboat and and like the bravado. A lot of that actually comes from the dark side. And for me, the the dark side of we can look at it through different labels. But for me, it, it's constantly feeling inadequate and what that shows up like. And inadequate shows up like selfish. It shows up as disconnected. It shows up as like from survival. Like I'm just always looking for like the squeeze that I can get from things because maybe I'm going to suffer one day. And yeah, it's for me, I think it's the dark side is fascinating because it's if you can create a relationship with your dark side, then you're whole. Like then you're complete. Yeah, the phrase "embrace your dark side" gets thrown around. So, how do you embrace your dark side? Mm, I understand where it comes from. Like, I start to look, start to look at it instead of like you know throwing it in the closet. I often look at my dark side like um, a child, and it is you know because it is like child and it's this like really afraid little side that. It, it wants to be heard. I mean, for me, fear even is like a five-year-old kid. It's this five-year-old that comes in the room and it's like tugging on your shirt. And it's like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And normally we're like, you know, shut the hell up. I'm, I'm doing stuff here. Like, I don't want you. And we were like, we hear the term fearless. And, um, and I go, how would you treat your fear if it was a five-year-old? Like, how would you treat feeling inadequate if, if inadequacy was a five-year-old? And like, oh my God, I'd love it up. Um, because all it is, is it's trying to voice a concern. And so with my dark side, I'm, you know, we can, I can try to shut it up, just persists. And so for me, it's the part of me that wants to be heard. Um, it's the part of me that wants to be seen, to be witnessed, to, to feel significant, to feel special and trying to like shut that in the closet. It, it doesn't actually work. And so for me, it's been a constant process of like noticing it and be like, oh, there you are. Um, come here. 
Let me give you a little hug. All right. I get it. Totally get it. And giving it actually like the acknowledgement that it needs saying, you know, hearing it, having it be spoken, trying to really distinguish like what it, what it actually wants, what it actually perceives is going on. And, and then moving on instead of always just being like, yeah, it's not there. Don't have it. Don't see it. Um, you know, and you ask people, what do you fear? And they go, nothing. You're like, oh, okay. Then you are a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) It shows up for you like in moments that you're not feeling heard or you're feeling small. Yeah, I think, um, where it shows up the most is actually when I'm pushed into a corner and not necessarily like, you know, there's a, a person that's pushing me into a corner, but when I'm in love, man, I, for me, love is a dangerous thing sometimes. And, uh, with love comes like a, an incredible amount of fear. Like you love something, but you're afraid to lose it. And so you you feel like fully alive and you're, you're, you're ready to rock and you're just on, on, on all cylinders. But at the same time, there's that voice. that's like, it wants to protect it and it wants to keep it safe and it wants to not lose it. And it, um, you know, so for me, it, it looks like protection and it looks like shutting down. Um, it looks like disconnecting. It looks like, um, yeah, it just looks like, you know, you can't touch this. Nothing affects me. And it's mm. just, the t- it's the total protection because what's actually going on is I'm head over heels in love and I don't want it to be seen because then it could be taken away. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up that, uh, yeah, it's a, it can be taken away at, at any moment. It's something that paradox you have to deal with, with mm-hmm. love. Mm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, man. Well, how can people reach out to you? Uh, what's the best way to contact you? Who are you looking to talk to at the moment? Okay, so um, you want to get a large sheet of metal and cut out a bat symbol and then put it on top of a high-powered light and point it at the sky on a somewhat overcast night. And how long and will it take you to get there? It depends what city I'm in. Okay. Um, in fact, because I never travel to Gotham, that, that won't work. Um, <laughs> you know, I always like, I, for a little while, I wasn't handing out business cards and, and, and until I had those really cool metal business cards I showed you. Yeah, they were awesome. And uh, I know, they're so cool. Now I actually like giving out business cards because they're pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, and I always said to people, I was like, hey, if you want to find me, you can find me. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, if you look at James, if you look up for James Butler, James G. Butler, you'll find me. Um, but to make it easy for your audience, they can either Google Reclaiming Warrior and they'll find a pretty badass website or they can find Reclaiming Warrior on Facebook and they can also find James G. Butler on Facebook as well. And um, that's the best way to find me and be a part of my community and be a part of the people that, uh, that we work with and the content we put out and, and what we stand for and being a part of that conversation and the evolution of mankind. Yeah, beautiful. Um, thank you, James. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm, I love you, man. I really love you. I'm so grateful that we met, and it just feels uh, feels like we're at the start of a really, really exciting friendship. So I'm so, mm. so grateful to meet you. I love you too, man, and, and thank you so much. Um, I love what you stand for. 
I love what you're uh, bringing to your country and as well now um, giving me the opportunity and the people that you work with the opportunity to speak that as well. So, Yeah, I appreciate it. And people are going to get a lot from this. So thank you so much. And I'm sure you'll be back on the show in no time as well. A hundred times, I hope. Well, there you have it, folks, my conversation with the wonderful James Butler. Man, some of his stories really moved me and I hope they moved you as well. You can find more about James on his website, reclaimingwarrior.com, or on Facebook, James G. Butler. And if you like this episode or you like this podcast, please tell a friend, share it around. You can share it on Facebook. The post appears on my Facebook page, Nathan R. Seawood. And I will love you forever and be very grateful if you share it around. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. And I'll be back next week with episode number 12 of The Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. 